free and decongestant free. Vicks NyQuil High Blood Pressure. The nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, fever, sore throat, cold and flu for people with high blood pressure. Like my dad. Medicine. Use it directed. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, HD1 Columbus, The Fan. Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, Kate Burdett has information about an annual local event called Caring for the Caregiver. I'll talk with someone from AARP Ohio about small businesses and their struggles to provide retirement plans for their workers. In about 22 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV, Doug Petcash talks to the mayor of New Albany about the explosive growth of industry in that community. Doug will also look into why Columbus is growing while Cleveland is not and talks with CBS's Face the Nation host, Margaret Brennan, about Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan's run for Speaker of the House. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Dwayne Casares, CEO of Directions for Youth and Families in Columbus. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. The fourth annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo is a free, one-of-a-kind event that allows caregivers, first responders, essential workers, parents, grandparents, and guardians a chance to enjoy pampering services, wellness activities, and all while learning about many community resources and information from healthcare organizations, businesses, and government agencies. That's happening on Saturday, November 4th in Columbus at the Boathouse at Confluence Park. And we are joined today by the founder of the Caring for the Caregiver Expo, Brenda Spencer, also the president of Spencer for Hire Media. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we first spoke about this event last year, and I know it was well attended and so well received. And I'm so excited to talk about this year's event. Yes, yes. I, I love you for having me. This event is just growing and growing. It's just overwhelming, blowing my mind, but it's so greatly needed. You're right. It is. And for those who may not know, I gave a brief kind of description in the introduction, but from you, the founder of the event, how do you describe the Caring for the Caregiver Expo? Well, the Care for the Caregiver Expo is, uh, it kicks off National Caregivers Month. It's a one day event for caregivers, and that's mothers, fathers, guardians, first responders, essential workers, anybody that's caring for somebody, you know, parents. Um, and it's a day for them to come and be thanked and recognized, uh, to relax, to get tons of information um, from different uh, businesses and organizations that can help them. You know, we have a a growing population of uh, seniors um, and things like that. So it's a day for them to get uh, free lunch, free pampering, free get fit and healthy. You know, everything is free. Wow, that's remarkable. 
Now, as the founder and the creator of this annual event, tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for the expo. Well, you know, my my sister and I, her name is Tanya McDay. She and I took care of our father for 13 years when my mother passed away in 2004. And um, we were both, you know, mothers with teenage children, you know, things like that. My mother got sick. We didn't know um, how sick she was. And she passed away within um, six months of us finding out she was sick. And that left my dad. And they were together for over 50 years. And he was grieving. He was hurting. He was just lost. So it took us about, you know, within the year, I want to say about six months to realize we were going to have to take over his care um, because he had just become really self-destructive, you know, if you know what I mean. Mm. And um, it was really challenging. Thank God I had my sister there to help me. She was hands on and I was um, uh, the business side of it. I handled all the business side of it. But we did that for 13 years and uh, he passed away in 2017. And. A couple of years after that, you know, because, you know, like you, I've been in the media forever, done special events forever. And I give all glory and honor to God because he gave me the vision for this Caring for the Caregiver Expo because we learned so much, you know, as adults in um, while we were taking care of him, you know, because, you know, I had to deal with the banks. I had to deal with the, the legal. I had to deal with the health care, the Medicaid, the Medicare you know, um, it's closing down his house. I mean, it was so much. It was overwhelming. And then, you know, my sister was hands on with him. So, you know, she makes sure she got into his doctor's appointments. And, you know, that was tough. You know, when you're dealing with a parent, they still see you as the child. So everything that we went through, I poured into this event because, you know, we, you know, we're dealing with our own grief, you know, of losing our mother. We were had teenage children. So, you know, imagine dealing with a teenager at the time. Plus, you know, it was just a lot on us. So I took everything that we learned and poured it into the Caring for the Caregiver Expo. So to give people a chance to have one day where they could just come and find out tons of information with banking, with the legal with the insurances and then all types of other businesses and companies that have services, home health care, AIDS, all kind of stuff to help them get through their daily life while also giving them a day to sit and hear speakers with our lunch and learn sessions because we have several speakers that will talk on different topics from everything on how not to be scammed with banking to kinship care to medicaid and medicare Um, we're going to do a special topic on men are caregivers too and then um, our pampering room where they can go in and get uh, massages and reflexology and facials and hand scrubs and manicures. And then our get fit and healthy room where they can do meditation and yoga and aerobics and um line dancing and we also have uh service providers that will do you know your basic healthcare screenings for blood pressure and cholesterol things like that and we have a wonderful lady that comes and does um cpr demonstrations oh wow so we support everything you know into this and it's just growing and growing and growing 
It surely is. We're talking with Brenda Spencer, the president of Spencer for Higher Media and the creator and founder of the annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo, which is being sponsored this year, among others, by the Franklin County Office on Aging. Can you tell me a little more? I'm sure that's a very valuable connection. Are are there other sponsors and things for the event? Yes, it is wonderful. We can't do this without it. You know, the only way that we're able to provide all of this and do all of this is through our sponsors and our exhibitors and vendors. You know, this is how we you pay for the event. Uh, Franklin County Office on Aging has been absolutely 1000% supportive and are, they are our presenting sponsor again for the second year. They've actually um, been with us since the beginning in 2019. And then, of course, they upped their um, involvement and became our presenting sponsor. And we just love them. They, we can't do this without them. Plus the fact that their um, organization fits with what we're doing. They provide so many services that people need in our communities. Like that's what they're there for. They're there to help the community um, seniors and with everything we're doing, everything we talk about with Medicaid and Medicare and kinship care and probate court, and you just name it. They have tons and tons of services that they provide. And, you know, we're lucky to have um, the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging is our Lunch and Learn sponsor this year, dedicated Seniors um, Medical Center is, is going to sponsor our pampering room this year. Uh, Chase Bank is coming on board this year as a sponsor. So we ha- it's and then all of the exhibitors and vendors, you know, and then we give away tons and tons of prizes. It's just a fun event. It really is. The fourth annual Caring for the Caregiver Expo will be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, November 4th at the Boathouse at Confluence Park in Columbus. But Brenda, I understand this is not the only expo you are expanding, aren't you? Oh, yes, ma'am. And and that's just the, the grace of God that, you know, this shows how much this is really needed with caregivers. You know, uh, we were blessed to have former First Lady Rosalind Carter came on board with us as a as a supporter. She sent us a letter of support and endorsement. And of course, that opens the door. You know, we so love her, you know, and then um, as we started putting all the information out there, um, I had people reach out to me across not only the state of Ohio, but throughout the across this country. So we started with Toledo, Ohio, where we will this year will be our second um, annual Care for the Caregiver Expo in Toledo, Ohio. That will happen on uh, Saturday, October the 28th this year. So there's always the last Saturday in October, Columbus, we kick off the first Saturday in November. And then we have uh, our inaugural Cleveland, Ohio, Caring for the Caregiver Expo coming up in 2024. So, and then, but people have reached out to me from Detroit, um, LA, Texas, Memphis, Kansas City, Baton Rouge, Tampa, all across the country wanting us to bring this expo to their city. And that's what we're planning to do. Remarkable. I I see you going nationwide before we know it. 
the yes, yes. We're going to try to take care of Ohio first because this is home. Ohio's my home. And we also have the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association is our nonprofit um, partner, along with the Central Ohio Alzheimer's Association. So we, we've determined we're going to try to do, you know, all the major cities in Ohio first. So we got Columbus covered, Toledo covered, Cleveland. Then we're going to look at Dayton and um Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to look at maybe our first city outside the state of Ohio would probably be Detroit. Wow. Watch, watch for those coming soon. But in the meantime, here in Ohio, the 28th in Toledo, October 28th, that is. And yes. on Saturday, November 4th in Columbus, the Caring for the Caregiver Expo, there are still Spots available for people to attend. Brenda, tell us where people can find more information about this. All they need to do is go to the website, which is caringforthecaregiverexpo.com. And all the information is there. You'll see my face. You'll see a message from me. There's things that you can click on um, to register. We do ask that everybody register, you know, through the website. Uh, you know, we try to keep a tallying account, you know, um, of how many people are coming, but all the information is there for anybody that wants to come. It is, I do want to state that it is an, an adult event. So it, you have to be 18 or over to attend because we don't want any, we love our babies, but we don't want any little babies disturbing the caregivers. You know what I mean? We want them to have a nice, peaceful day. Caregivers deserve a break and yes, to kick off. And nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. fire, policemen, they're all invited to come. This is for this is your event. Mom, dad, grandparents, guardians, this is the day for you. Absolutely. For us to thank you and recognize you. And it's free to attend. Caring for the caregiver expo.com is the place to get all of the information and to make your reservation. Yes. Yes, ma'am. I've got tons of great prizes. And I'm just going to give you a real quick hint. My my top prize, my golden ticket prize is a pair of tickets to the OSU Michigan State football game. Oh, wow. Okay. You got to come. We tell our, our caregivers everything is free. All you have to do is get there. It's free to park, free to get in. Everything is free. Wow. Well, with the announcement of those tickets as a prize, you may have just broken the internet. So, (laughs) well, Brenda, congratulations on everything you've done so far and the best of luck with your event on November 4th. I hope you'll come and join us this year. You got to see it. I do. I do. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you so much for having me on your program. You know, I love you. Oh, well, we love you too. Brenda Spencer with the Caring for the Caregiver Expo happening November 4th in Columbus. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. 
we win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Amy Milan, who is the Associate State Director of Advocacy and Outreach for AARP Ohio. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. I think we all know what AARP is, but I'm going to let you go ahead and explain it anyway so that maybe we can find out something we don't know about it. Certainly. So at AARP, we advocate for policies um, for for the 50 plus. And so one of the um, major policy issues that we are always looking at is um, financial resiliency and retirement readiness. And for that reason, AARP earlier this summer commissioned a survey to better understand the needs of Ohio's small business owners when it comes to retirement savings options for their employees. And we wanted to gauge their support for a potential new public-private retirement savings option in our state. It's becoming a bigger and bigger issue because uh, I know that even the federal government is trying to get more businesses involved in making sure that their employees are preparing for retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know, you know, in Ohio, just as well as the rest of the country, um, we do face a very big and very real retirement savings crisis. Um, in Ohio in particular, we know that right now, roughly 42% of Ohio's private sector workers, and that's roughly 1.8 million people, do not have access to a retirement savings plan through their regular paycheck at work. Wow. It's really interesting because you can find the gamut at workplaces. Some places, they'll actually contribute on your behalf, even if you're not participating in the program, you know, a 401k or whatever. Others Mm -hmm. obviously will match, but then there are other employers who simply don't have it. And even in companies where they try to get employees involved, they don't all do it. So it, Mm it can be a real problem. What we found um, as well from our survey, and again, we surveyed um, particularly small business owners in Ohio, and we found that, you know, 79% of them agree that being able to offer a retirement savings option, you know, would help them attract and retain quality employees and stay competitive. Um, yet nearly 6 in 10 of those small business owners surveyed do not currently offer workers a way to save, um, you know, through their paycheck at work. And there are many reasons for that. You know, those surveyed, you know, believe that the conventional retirement savings plans are too costly. Um, You know, almost half think that it'd be too complicated. And, you know, when we ask them about um, how likely they'd be able, they would be to participate in a retirement savings option that we described in the survey, three in four Ohio small business owners said they'd be likely to offer access to their employees if it was available to them. And so three and three quarters said they'd support such an option, which um, could be run similar to a state college 529 savings plan, just in terms of having an option that is state facilitated 
privately managed where the state could develop um, a partnership to create a basic retirement savings option um, like an IRA for the individual employees where small business owners, um, employers could simply set up a payroll deduction just like they would do for taxes and facilitate transferring that over to um, um, the employee's account. And so workers, again, would be able to choose if and how much they want to contribute. And the reason that um, being able to save through your paycheck is so important is that our data shows that people are 15 times more likely to save if they can do so through their regular paycheck at work. And again, that's so, that's so important because the savings rate just goes up so dramatically when um, people can do it through their paycheck where it's it's just it gets sent through on their behalf through their paycheck. Um, so that's why it's so important to try to improve access um, to that type of, you know, to that type of option. Talking with Amy Milam, she's uh, the associate state director for AARP Ohio. What are you going to do with this information? Are you contacting lawmakers about this or what? So we, we are um, talking with lawmakers about the, the retirement crisis in Ohio, but before that, we are actually talking with, with stakeholders. We want to talk with those who are most impacted by this, um, and we want to form, we want policymakers to form a task force of stakeholders to develop um, a state public-private option that um, at no cost to employers, that'll be right for Ohio. So where we are now is we want to make sure that we have the right group of stakeholders together in a dedicated task force so that we can develop the option that will be best for Ohioans to help more Ohioans save for their future. Well, it seems like from uh, right before the pandemic hit to now, when you look at what has happened with housing prices and, you know, just inflation in general, it's Mm -hmm. become more and more uh, obvious and important how uh, big a deal it is to save for the future. It is so important, and, and it you know it's so important, and something that um, you know as a state we really need to look at how we can help people help themselves be in a better position for their retirement. Um, that will have huge implications for for the workforce and for the state budget in the future if we can help people be in a better secure position when they reach retirement. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Amy Milam from AARP Ohio. Are you finding older Ohioans a, a, a bit on the despondent side when it comes to inflation and retirement preparation uh, these days? Or, I mean, a lot of people left the workforce during the pandemic, and, and I'm hearing that some are regretting that they did it. I mean, certainly it's, um, you know, it's been a difficult situation for, for many with the ever-rising costs of basic necessities, food, gas, um, you know, basic necessities, housing. So um, certainly um, people are feeling, are feeling the pain from that. And so, you know, again, we can't stay on, on the path that we're at. Currently, in terms of retirement readiness, um, we will. We're already, you know, on the. We're already in a retirement savings crisis now, as as you note, and it's only going to get worse um, if we don't, you know, if we don't have some ways for um, for people to better save for retirement and have an easier, uh, more accessible way to save. You know, again, you know, as I as I noted, roughly half of households they're at risk for not being able to maintain their their living standards in retirement. And so we are looking for um, options that can benefit Ohio's employers, employees, and ultimately um, the state taxpayers as well. Amy, if uh, folks want more information about this, do you have it online somewhere? 
Yes, we do. Um, particularly if you'd like to see more information on our recent small business survey, I would invite you to visit aarp.org slash OH Saves Survey. Again, aarp.org slash OH Saves Survey. Okay, Amy Milam. She's again the Associate State Director of Advocacy and Outreach for AARP. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you. Hey, this is Grace Gostet. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Good morning. This week on Face the State, the explosive growth meets the slow decline. It's the competing stories of Ohio's cities. This morning, we're looking into how one once quaint small town is turning into a tech-driven hub. When change is coming uh, and it's going from sort of a very rural area to a more dense urban suburban setting that's a lot of change Mm -hmm. and so i think we've been trying to be very respectful of folks that are going through that change um, and working with them to understand what the opportunities could be what makes new albany so attractive to these major west coast companies and how the city is preparing itself for thousands of people moving and commuting in Also this morning, the rise in homelessness in central Ohio. It's partly because of the increase in people moving here and driving up the cost of living. We speak to an organization working to combat the problem. And this morning, we're also facing the nation. I'm joined by moderator Margaret Brennan from the CBS Washington, D.C. Bureau. What she's looking at in Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan's bid to be the next House Speaker. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Doug Petcash from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning and thank you for joining me on this Sunday. I'm Doug Petcash. This week we're exploring the rapid growth and the steady decline of communities across the state. We've seen the impacts new businesses are having on our part of the state. And while Columbus grows, other cities aren't so lucky. We're starting our focus this morning on New Albany. The quiet Columbus suburb isn't so quiet anymore. The city is adding thousands and thousands of jobs. Amazon is the most recent company investing in the city. They're spending nearly $4 billion on new buildings to house web servers. There's also Intel, which will be a major employer up the road. Meta and Google are expanding their own data centers as well. A vitamin brand is adding a new plant. Same for a biomanufacturing company. All of this is creating a buzz around town, mainly from all the construction happening. I recently sat down with the mayor of this growing community for a conversation about how New Albany is preparing. I started by asking him what the growth means for the city. What does all this business growth mean for New Albany? 
Well, first of all, we're just uh, super excited to have these great business partners coming into our community. That's not only going to have an impact in New Albany, but on the entire region and, frankly, the state of Ohio. You know, the Intel Project really brought to light the spirit of collaboration that is Columbus. Uh, the region is very well known for that. And certainly the successes we've had in New Albany are because of our ability to collaborate. I was going to ask that. You know, how has all of this business investment uh, happened in, in recent years? And again, I think it's all a team effort. Uh, you look at the local level, we have an incredible staff at the city of New Albany, a very professional, uh, very uh, well-respected in the industry. And we have a track record record of success, not only in bringing in those businesses, but be able to deliver on what we promised. But then you look a little bit broader. Uh, the city of Columbus is a tremendous partner uh, mm-hmm. with the city of New Albany. Licking County has really stepped up over the last couple of years to provide assistance. And then you look a little bit more broader than that. Jobs Ohio, a very unique uh, you know, animal, so to speak, in, in Ohio for economic development. And of course, the state of Ohio has, has done a lot to help bring in these great business partners. When you think about the roots of New Albany as a, a rural mill town and and what it is today. Um, Has it taken years to build up that reputation as a business-friendly community to attract this type of investment? Absolutely. Uh, and as you point out, I mean, New Albany is a, you know, like a lot of other towns uh, in Ohio, started out as a rural agricultural center. Uh, for years, it was just a stop sign between Granville and Columbus. Uh, and then, you know, a developer came to town and uh, had some other plans and really built, you know, sort of from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And it was predominantly a residential area at, at its beginning, but as the city started to grow and wanted to diversify our revenue streams, we started to attract those business partners. And again, it was sort of that strategic planning mm-hmm. and really putting together an atmosphere that would attract those business businesses into our community, and then just really the forward-thinking investment from our city council and city staff to make that infrastructure uh, available right from the beginning and then attract the businesses. Uh, So you have that. That was my next question, too, is how is the city now preparing for all this growth? Well, uh, you know, we, we've chased a lot of really big projects um, over the years. Uh, you look at our success with uh, Facebook and Meta, Amazon Web Services, Google. You mentioned Amgen, Farmervite, other really great partners. Uh, but the Intel project, I think, really sort of, uh, you know, turned up the pace of development. Uh, so the city is really engaged on putting together that infrastructure, the road networks, the sewer and water, uh, all the things that are going to need to circulate not only folks to the site, uh, but the construction that's going to follow. A lot of people will be moving here, too. So how can the city play a role in making sure there is, first of all, enough housing and then also enough affordable housing? Yeah, and that's certainly going to be the challenge for our entire region. Uh, And I give a lot of credit to a lot of the other leaders in central Ohio. We've been talking about housing workforce, transportation. We've been discussing those issues for a a long period of time. And there's plans in place. But certainly with a project like Intel coming, all of that's going to be accelerated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But housing across all spectrums is going to be needed in the region. We're going to have a pretty massive influx of people over the next five to ten years. And housing is going to have to be something that is a priority for every community. And And obviously they won't all be living right around New Orleans. Correct. I mean, we're, we're actually a fairly small town. You know, we're 12 to 14,000 yeah. residents. Um, and so, you know, we're not going to be able to influx 100,000 people. It's just not going to be able to all be in New Albany. But regionally, we'll be able to, you know, come together. Each community is going to have their own opportunity as how, how they embrace this, you know, this, yeah. this new partner that's coming to town mm-hmm. and the growth that comes with it. Well, speaking of embracing it, um, you know, what do you tell residents who maybe have been there a long time who like that? 
rural atmosphere and may may not like the pace of the growth. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm a bike rider. I love to get out there and ride my bike and, and get out in rural Ohio. It's 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 absolutely beautiful, and uh, I have a high degree of respect for folks that that farm for a living. It's it's hard work, and you know, there's when I close my eyes and think of the state of Ohio, that's what I picture is you know is the farm and agricultural communities that we have and so when when change is coming uh and it's going from sort of a very rural area to a more dense urban suburban setting that's a lot of change Mm -hmm. and so i think we've been trying to be very respectful of folks that are going through that change um, and working with them to understand what the opportunities could be and the way i've tried to describe it to folks at the end of the day these projects are really about the future for our kids uh, to have those young people that get educated here in Ohio, we spend a lot of money educating our young folks, only to see them leave and go to you know, the East Coast or the West Coast for jobs. I want them to stay here in Ohio. I want those Buckeyes that have left to come yeah. home. For me, it's all about the employment opportunity for the future. And Intel's factory is uh, scheduled to open sometime in 2025. Correct. Let's take the longer view now. What do you see for New Albany and the surrounding area after that? So, you know, it's 3,000 jobs that uh, Intel has committed for that first phase of the project. Of course, with the CHIPS Act, uh, we're hoping that there'll be a further commitment uh, of Intel looking in the future. Uh, to your point, you know, this is really a 30 to 50-year horizon that we're going to be looking at for this entire project mm-hmm. to be built out at full capacity. Uh, generally, Intel doesn't buy land that ju- they're just going to, you know, look at. They're actually going to use it for development. But it's all the other uh uh, parts of that project, I think they're going to have the larger impact on the region. The suppliers, the construction trades, uh, the influx of talent that is, is going to come into the region. And it's that play that I think our other partners in the region are going to benefit from. You know, What suppliers can they attract to their community? What employment centers can they create mm-hmm. to take advantage of this opportunity? So continued growth. Continued growth. And again, it's, it's a 30 to 50 year horizon. But I think the thing that uh, you know, a lot of folks have really started to embrace and and, and acknowledge is that, you know, Ohio, we have such a great and rich history of making things with our hands. And we have great, you know, we put the first man on the moon. You know, we developed flight, the light bulb, all these great inventions, you know, Ohio first in, in any industry. And so to be able to transfer from sort of that Rust Belt mentality mm-hmm. uh, of, of manufacturing to this new high-tech environment, I think is what the future, you know, the future is very bright for Ohio, and I think this is going to be the project that really drives who we are uh, 50 to, you know, 100 years from now. New Albany is part of the reason we've seen the increases in population in the Columbus metro area. The population has been growing here for the last two decades. 18% of the state's population lives in Columbus or its metro area. This part of the state is really the only area that's growing in population. In the last 20 years, Ohio has had a population growth of 3%. However, when you take Columbus out of that equation, the state actually has had a net loss, some 100,000 people or 1%. Cleveland is in somewhat of a decline, but it's not alone. Once vibrant communities are suffering from poverty, crime, depopulation, and job losses. This morning, we're taking a few moments to explore the differences between places like Columbus and Cleveland. Here to speak about the decline happening in many Midwestern communities is author and Cleveland State University professor, Dr. Stephanie Ryberg-Webster. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time this morning. Absolutely, and great to be here. Well, first of all, I want to start with uh, the differences between Columbus and our neighbors to the north in Cleveland. What makes these cities so different? 
So I think there's a number of things. History, of course, um, Cleveland, you know, boomed uh, more than a century ago during the peak of industrialization as a city sort of centered around heavy industries, um, rapid um, immigration growth. Of course, its positioning on Lake Erie and the Cuyahoga River kind of facilitated that in an era before automobile use was um, kind of the dominant mode of transportation. Um, in the present day, there are also sort of ongoing differences between these cities. Of course, you know, Columbus is growing and Cleveland is uh, still in decline, although a much slower pace of decline than in the past, kind of a, a stabilization point, I think. Um, and, you know, um, one of the, the sort of impacts of history and how these cities developed over time is that Columbus still physically grows, like the actual geographic boundaries of the city can expand outward and capture some of the new growth that's happening in the region. Whereas Cleveland um, and even a city like Cincinnati cannot. Um, they're landlocked cities completely surrounded by other um, incorporated communities. And so there's very little opportunity for physical growth um, for a city like Cleveland. I was going to say, so is that the main factor, basically, in why Columbus is growing and those two aren't? I mean, you always hear that cities can build up. Right, right. So, yes, of course, a city like Cleveland could build up. And there is land here from, you know, decades and decades of deindustrialization and population loss um, that has resulted in things like, you know, too much housing and vacant land. So there are those opportunities. But I think these um, sort of economic trends um, become kind of catalytic. So you have a lot of recent investment um, in cities like Columbus and the high-tech sector and, and high-tech industry. And those things sort of spiral off of each other. And um, and so Columbus kind of benefits from that at this point, whereas, uh, of course, it's happening in Cleveland. It's not that there's no growth here or no investment. It's just sort of at a different pace and different scale in the 21st century right now. What does a city well, like Columbus need to do to sustain growth we're experiencing? Yeah, this is a really great question. I think, you know, um, if you take kind of a long arc view of history, these things ebb and flow over time. You know, I think to sustain growth, uh, uh, a region really has to be in tune with things like infrastructure development and how transportation networks um, uh, sort of can can accommodate that the, those numbers of people. Things like housing affordability, um, because if those things start to get too high, right, if, if housing affordability becomes untenable for a lot of people, you, you can have kind of negative effects over time. Dr. Stephanie Ryberg-Webster, thank you so much for your perspective this morning. Absolutely. Have a great day. Well, there's much more ahead this morning. We look into a very real problem in Columbus, the growing number of people experiencing homelessness, the people on the streets who are helping those people every day, and the concerns this Sunday for how all the expansion we've talked about may only go into making matters worse. Also ahead, moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan, joins me. We'll talk about her role at CBS News and a recent major interview you've seen on the program, plus her perspective on the race for Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. 
Welcome back to Face the State. The future of Ohio's public school system will be in limbo in court. A judge extended the restraining order, preventing the state from moving forward with a Republican-backed overhaul of K-12 education. The restraining order stops the transition from the Ohio Department of Education to the new Department of Education and Workforce and the transfer of much of the Board of Education's power to the governor's office. However, Governor Mike DeWine says the new department does now exist because of the law the legislature passed creating it. He says he's following the court order by halting work on the transition, though, such as selecting a director for the new department. The restraining order is now in effect through October 20th. Both sides in the case have until the 16th to submit briefs to the court. Well, it's being called an alarming trend this morning. The number of people experiencing homelessness in central Ohio is growing. While Midwestern cities like Columbus have been immune to the major problems on the coasts, it's creating concern for people who work to help these members of our community. In the last year, the number of people experiencing homelessness in Franklin County rose by 22 percent, from 1,900 to more than 2,300. More people now are also not living in shelters, many of them young adults and families. Joining me this morning to talk about those rising numbers is Sam Schuler. She is the CEO of the Community Housing Network. Sam, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So maybe if you could just give us an idea of just how big is the problem of homelessness in Columbus and Franklin County? Well, the, the, the numbers you just showed, the trend of growing by 22%, that's the first uh, rise we've seen at that level in over 20 years. So it's a really alarming trend that's going in the wrong direction. Um, the number of affordable housing units in our community has been declining. Uh, since 2017, we've lost about 38,000 affordable housing units, meaning that for every 100 people who are looking for affordable housing, only 30 houses are available. So uh, it's just an alarming trend that we need to address uh, to turn it around. What, that's one of the contributing factors. What else is playing into it? I think certainly the, the pandemic contributed to it, I think, um, and the economics of uh, where we are right now. The Rents have gone up incredibly, I think, in the last couple of years, like 56% for a two-bedroom. So it, people are struggling to afford housing. So you've got a housing shortage. You have the impact of the pandemic. Um, and, and population Yeah, growth. and then the population growth. So all of those factors are, are, are driving this number. Who are the people experiencing homelessness now? Yeah. So you saw... Definitely more families yeah. uh, and uh, more young adults, and certainly the folks that we serve, people who are experiencing mental health issues. Uh, so, so you have a variety of folks. Sometimes it's just uh, there's an interruption in their income, and, and, and they can't afford their housing. And sometimes it's also that they've got some illnesses that are, are contributing to them being unable to maintain their housing. So what is then the mission of the Community Housing Network? What is it that you do? Well, we specifically serve the folks who are experiencing homelessness, who also have some sort of disability like a mental health or maybe an addiction or trauma-related issues. Uh, we provide what's known as permanent supportive housing. Yeah. So we combine the housing, which obviously brings stability and safety for a person, but we also have uh, um, support services to make sure that the services they need to maintain that housing and recover uh, are, are there and available for With them. With the permanent housing model, is that where you put them in a home so that they know that they have a place to stay at night and that allows them then to focus on finding a job or you know other ways that they need to take care of their families. Right. That's exactly right. Most people who end up homeless homeless who have a mental illness, they had that mental illness uh, at a time they didn't have a good support system. And so 
they need a good support system. We all do. None of us uh, do well if we're facing a big obstacle and don't have folks around to help us. So if you just house them, that's great. That does help them start to uh, feel safe and foundation and focus on self-care. But then if the support system is also there, they have someone to reach out to to help them with those obstacles that they're facing. That helps them make sure that they recover and that they can maintain their housing and their productive lives over time. And and people may not know that the Community Housing Network has been around for 35 years now. What does the future hold for your organization? Well, we we continue to... um, build more housing because we need it. We have about uh, over 1,500 units now. We develop around 40 to 100 a year. We just opened a Touchstone Field Place, a 56-unit project. We just broke ground on a, another one, a 44-unit project. So our hope is to keep finding resources and build more housing the, for the folks who need it. And if someone wants to help, just give you a call or go to the website and sign up to volunteer? Yeah, that'd like be that. great. If they go to chninc.org, they can sign up to get our newsletter, learn more about about people who are homeless and also figure out how to contribute, donate, volunteer. Sam Schuler with the Community Housing Network. Thank you so much for being here and giving us an idea of just what the issue is with homelessness here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. A conversation with CBS's Face the Nation moderator, Margaret Brennan, is coming up next. The next disaster is coming. The time to get ready is now. Make a plan. Choose meetup locations and keep a contact list. Build a kit with food and water. Don't forget your pets. Keep extra medicine on hand. Make copies of key documents and keep them somewhere safe. Stay informed. Learn about local hazards and sign up for alerts. Be ready. Learn more at americares.org slash send us in. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This next segment with Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV on Face the State, took place while Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan were both competing for the position of Speaker of the House. Since then, Steve Scalise has dropped out. Jim Jordan remains the top candidate for the position, but still has not been elected to it. Each Sunday, I'm honored to moderate this show directly after Face the Nation and Margaret Brennan. Face the Nation is one of the longest-running news programs on TV. I spoke with moderator of Face the Nation and CBS News chief foreign affairs correspondent Margaret Brennan recently. And off the top, I asked her about Congressman Jim Jordan and his push to be the next House Speaker. Well, it's really a race for 218 votes uh, to get that actual confirmation that Republicans want one of these two men who have put themselves forward so far. There are rumors of other candidates also eyeing a jump into this race. But Ohio's Jim Jordan is describing himself publicly as uh, the person who can best unite the party. And he's using that term unite because there is, frankly, a civil war within the Republican Party right now. We saw that just within the past few days with the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, orchestrated by uh, a group of right-wing Republicans who turned to Democrats for those 218 votes to oust the Speaker from power. So uh, Jordan's describing himself as the man to unite, but that's an interesting choice because it once again seems to refer back to McCarthy's strategy, which was about trying to reach out to those hardliners rather than trying to neutralize uh, the challenge they pose to the moderates who make up the majority of the Republican Party. Uh, rather than neutralize, as Speaker Pelosi did uh, when she was challenged by some of the progressives on progressives on the left of her party, uh, these Republican candidates are reaching out to the uh, more fringe elements. 
You had a conversation with former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. That proved to be very consequential. Can you tell us more about that? Well, Speaker McCarthy came on Face the Nation with a victory lap. He was actually uh, viewing himself as having pulled a rabbit out of a hat, and he did. Uh, at the 11th hour, put together a continuing resolution, a short-term deal to avoid a government shutdown. He persuaded the majority of Republicans to vote for it, and he got Democratic votes to keep the government open. What he didn't get uh, was a bill that brought along some of the more conservative members. In fact, 90 Republicans voted against it. And it was a choice rhetorically for Speaker McCarthy to once again try to reach out to those uh, harder line members. He could have said he brokered a bipartisan deal. He could have said that it was the moderates who were in uh, the leading position there and bringing along Democrats. Instead, he chose to attack Democrats, who, by the way, provided the necessary votes to keep the government open. And so he made a choice rhetorically, and it was one that did appear to backfire on him, because right before that vote was held on the motion to vacate the attempt to oust the speaker democrats played that interview and many of them walked away uh, from their caucus meeting emboldened with this idea that mccarthy uh, wasn't reaching out to them but once again was trying to uh, make them the enemy rather than recognize the civil war within the party once again that was margaret brennan from face the nation and thank you for joining me this week for face the state I'm Doug Petcash. I'll see you next Sunday at 11:30. Have a great rest of your day. That's again Doug Petcash, courtesy of our sister station WBNS 10 TV, from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 11:30 on 10 TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dwayne Casares. He's the CEO of Directions for Youth and Families. How are you doing, Dwayne? I'm doing good, Dave. How are you, Mike? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Directions for Youth and Families is. Uh, we are a nonprofit social service agency uh, offering mental health services we, we, and counseling services. We work in a lot of the school districts. Uh, we have over 50 licensed therapists. All of our work is outreach. We work in homes and schools and in the community. So we don't want transportation or child care to be a barrier to uh, receiving uh, um, uh, therapeutic services. We also have two after-school centers that offer uh, leadership development, homework help, computer labs, as well as dance and music and, and um, uh, fitness classes. Uh, just Actually, they, art, art classes, they have all kinds of stuff. It's actually awesome. We are well into October already this year. Unbelievable. And October is a big month for your agency. Yes, it is. It is. On many different fronts. You know, one, uh, uh, surprisingly, we ended up having um, September was the most referrals. We're mostly a mental health agency, and we have more referrals in December, most of them coming from school systems than any um, uh, time in our history. And uh, so that's kind of good because that means that people are actually going to get mental health services that need it. So we appreciate all of that. Uh, but bigger than that, we also have two after school centers uh, one on Ohio Avenue, the other one is in. Uh, Eastland Mall area on Kimberly Parkway, and we've had that property for seven years. We were gifted a building that was 3,800 square feet. Uh, we did open up programming there, an after-school and summer program. We were filled up in two days and have been turning kids and families away 
million dollar fundraising, we will be opening up a 24,000 square foot uh, community center, um, and we have 24 nonprofit partners who will be joining us. So uh, this is huge. This is something that we have really been working on for a long time, and the day's almost here, Dave. I really just can't even believe it. And, and you're not going to like this question, but I'm just kind of curious about it because I've known you now for a long time. And I know that you always want to make this program about the services that you give to the community and not even about your own agency. But I'm going to ask you about you. You uh, have spent a lot of time and effort on this. Tell us what you feel about it. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that's, they, you know, not to ask me questions. Like this. Come on, man. <laughs> I will tell you, I purposely didn't go through it for a while when they first started building it because um, I want to see it a little bit more finished. Uh, the first time I went through it, I have to tell you, it was difficult to hold it together. Um, and it didn't help that my uh, head of maintenance guy was walking through with me, and he's, he's been my right-hand person on this project and has seen the building every day. And he and we were in with other people, and he comes up to me and whispers in my ear, look what you built. And that about put me over the edge. I had to excuse myself. Um, mm. This has been a long journey, not not just for me, but my entire staff. Uh, ooh, ooh, we have such a great uh, support group. Uh, and for my staff who, who work out there, I'll tell you what's been the toughest thing. In our work, the toughest thing to do is to tell a family um, you don't have room for them. And that's going to be the most awesome thing is they're no longer going to have to turn anyone away. We're going to go from serving uh, 60 kids to 400 and be able to serve a thousand families. This is a uh, this is going to be the greatest thing for all of them because they no longer have to say no. They get to say yes um, and and sign them up, and then we start providing them with services. So yeah, it's been a journey. I am uh, uh, I, I really can't believe it's almost here, but it is almost here. And this is uh, again out in the old Eastland Mall area of, on the east side of Columbus. And one of your goals was to help the community in a big way, but not necessarily change it in every way. That's absolutely right. You know, it, you know, years ago when we kept we started looking at this, we were part of many projects like the Wyland Park Project and many other things. And one of the things that are challenging when you end up trying to help a community go through like a change process is gentrification. Everybody always talks about that. And what ends up happening is when they when areas gentrify, it's typically our clients that we serve that get displaced, and um, the transitional nature of the people that we serve is already high. Um, it, it doesn't serve kids well because it changes environments, it changes schools, it, it changes many different things. So we challenged ourselves that can you have, we started with community transformation, can you have community transformation without gentrification? Um, these aren't words we use anymore. Uh, transformation, actually, we've grown up in the process through these seven years. Uh, we're not trying to transform any community. This isn't about transformation. Actually, I think that word is disrespectful to the people of that community. Um, this is truly about community restoration. Uh, this community, there is no park and rec center. There's no library. Um, and, and we're one of the few social service agencies that have been in that area. It's very difficult when you have a community that's number one in infant mortality and number one in evictions, yet there's not services out there for them to access in order to even have a little bit of hope in, in changing things. So uh, this really is an issue, I believe, and we believe, of social justice. So we modified all of our language. 
language, this is about community restoration. Uh, we do see this as restorative justice. Um, and that really is the approach that we have taken, and that's the language we have used with all of the uh, nonprofit partners that uh, we have engaged to help us uh, restore this community and address issues of social justice. I mean, we, we are primarily a mental health agency, so uh, we have that part covered. We also had, you know, the after-school and summer programming that we have for kids. We had that covered. But what wasn't in our wheelhouse, Dave, is the other things that community needed, like basic needs, like uh, um, to, uh, uh, you know, slow down the eviction process, to um, have food for people, to have a safe environment. To have, but these are all things that other agencies have their hand in. You know, uh, Matt Habash out with a, a food collective. You know, they just bought the Kroger that's out that way. We've been in discussions of how we can unify um, both of our agencies and helping this community be uh, restored. Um, really excited about that. We are uh, we, we have a, a, a um, community garden that has been built in as a part of this. Uh, we plan on having a farmer's market. Um, we want a safe place for community to come and be able to gather and act like community and be community. Uh, we've built a, a, uh, an amphitheater outdoors. Um, uh, one of our, our partners is the symphony. They um, have already had a couple concerts out there during COVID. They have material about the mental health benefits of symphony music. Well, when you, and I believe in that. So when you have that, well then, they should have concerts in toxic stress communities, and they love that idea. So uh, um, they're actually the ones who gave me the idea about an amphitheater many five, six years ago. Uh, so, yeah, all of these things, workforce development with the groups that we have with that, that's not something we do. Senior services isn't something we do, um, but other people do. So what we had did was very strategically looked at all the things, and we started by asking the community what they needed. What are the services that you would like for us to go after? And um, and that this whole process started seven years ago by taking moms from that community to our Ohio Avenue site so they could dream and help us formulate uh, what this center would end up having. And I say moms because 74% of the households out there are single parent households and it is uh, um, mostly uh, women who had them. So uh, it's been great. It's It's been great having them a part of it. It supports what we believe is that we got to quit throwing programs at people and we have to allow people um, to let us know what it is that they need, not us decide for them. Um, so this truly has been a collective process, not only with our partners, but with members of that community. It's great, too, because your agency's role is a little bit complex in the sense that, you know, you're not a governmental agency, you're not connected with law enforcement or those types of things, but you are diving into family issues. Which yes. which could be a trust issue with people. Well, and that's one of the things too. It, it, it's uh, it's kind of like when they first came out with the uh, uh, vaccinations during COVID. Uh, you know, we had talked to public health. This, like, this community, first off, to try to get from where they're at to the fairgrounds to get a, a vaccination. This is early on when the vaccinations first came out. Um, you know how many buses that is, and you try to do that, and there is a pandemic, and you do it with a stroller. That right. this wasn't possible. So we ended up becoming a community uh, vaccination site because we had already worked with uh, uh, Ohio Health to bring out the mobile unit. We couldn't wait to address the infant mortality. So five years ago or six years ago, we contracted with them to come out and uh, provide the medical services. They've been doing that since then, and it's full every time they come. Uh, we ended up finding out uh, like a year ago, November, that we were the number one mobile vaccination site um, in the city. And part of that is because our, our staff had built such great trust with members of the community. Um, and, and this is predominantly a, a, a community of color. Um, so there's many challenges along those types of things because of, of trust. 
contractors, particularly with systems, but our, our staff have been so great and so involved with this community, and the community's been very, very supportive of this initiative. So, um, it, yeah, it's all falling in place. This is uh, going to be a huge celebration for us. It's great talking with Dwayne Casares, CEO, Directions for Youth and Families. So, Dwayne, what should people watch for? What's happening? When? And uh, how can they find out more about it? It is October 24th. We wish we could open up to the whole community, but we have so many RSVPs right now. I can't believe it. We've had so much support from so many people in the community that have pulled through. Um, uh, the initial building was $6.6 million. The pandemic hit. Uh, the cost after the pandemic went up to 10.7 because of supply shortages and labor shortages. Um, that about uh, that sunk my heart for a few days, but then we just had to go back out there and and raise some money. Uh, and costs ended up being 10.4 million. Uh, that is what we have raised, and so grateful to such a giving community that has allowed us uh, to be able to put this forth. Excellent, Dwayne Casares again joining us. Directions for Youth and Families. If folks want more info about your agency, what do they find out? Uh, they can check us out on the web, www.dfyf.org, or they call our intake department, 614-294-2661. All right, Dwayne, congratulations, and thanks for talking to us again today. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks, Mike. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective. Casting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, HD1 Columbus. The Fan. The Fan. Sports Center. Good morning, I'm Caleb Blake. Ohio State was able to take care of business on the road against Purdue yesterday. Buckeyes jumped out on the Boilermakers early and never looked back, getting contributions from all over the field, including another big day from... Stud receiver Marvin Harrison, in which he finished with six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. The Buckeyes now will have to turn their focus to Penn State and the Nittany Lions for a huge matchup at the Shoe this upcoming Saturday. We have another 9.30 a.m. start to kick off your NFL football Sunday with the Titans taking on the Ravens in the NFL's final game over in London this season. That one will take you over into our 1 o'clock slate of games in which both of Ohio, the Ohio teams will be in action. Cleveland Browns have a tough matchup with the Red Hot 49ers. Once again, Sean Watson will not play due to the lingering shoulder injury, so P.J. Walker will get the start. And the Bengals will take on the Seahawks. That one will also be at 1 on CBS. Breaking sports news when it happens on the fan. Ohio sports destination. From the Ohio News Network, this is Ohio Sports Magazine. Now here's your host, Matt Andrews. Greetings and welcome to this week's Ohio Sports Magazine here on the Ohio News Network. We're at the start of hockey season. Blue Jackets got underway this week. The NHL opened on Tuesday and now we're well into it this weekend and on to to bigger and better things going forward. And nobody better to talk to than the... I'll call him the editor of the Blue Jackets website, our Blue Jackets insider. Are you the editor? I know you're the main contributor, Jeff Sabota. Set us straight, would you? <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, I write most of the content for the team website. I move everything around. 
uh, try to make it as useful and as uh, attractive as possible for uh, and informational as possible for Blue Jackets fans coming to the site. And it is very informational. You can follow along online or you could also follow Jeff. Jeff, what is your Twitter handle or are you on more than just Twitter now? <laughs> yes, both Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Jackets Insider. So uh, news updates about the team, you know, pictures just kind of showing what a what life is like uh, being around this team on a daily basis during the season and, and throughout the offseason as well. But now, obviously, uh, we're going into the season. So there'll be a lot of content and a lot of uh, posts uh, just kind of updating anything Great. and everything I can think of as the year goes on. Jackets in their 23rd season of hockey. It certainly has been an eventful offseason. Uh, and you have previewed the season now that we're into it very well on the website. So I invite folks to go check that out. But Give us a few of the uh, the inverted pyramid storylines, I guess, if you will, for those journalism students following along. What, aside from the new coach and the changes made, what are what are some of the top moments or aspects of this team you're most intrigued by? Yeah, well, you, you say aside from the new coach, but I think that's a huge storyline. Right. Uh, the, the Blue Jackets go into the season with uh, Pascal Vincent as the new head coach. Uh, spent two seasons as the associate head coach, so very familiar. Uh, with the the players and everything about uh, the Blue Jackets, and is a player or a coach that's pretty well respected and, and well liked among the, the the players and the really the entire organization. Uh, and so it's his first crack at being an NHL head coach, but he's been very prepared uh, and has seemed very uh, on the ball throughout this preseason uh, as the Jackets got ready to to get ready for the year. So uh, you know, time will tell uh, once things uh, uh, really get deep into the year. But uh, so far, so good, I would say with him. Uh, and, and then after that, it's just bouncing back from what was a very tough season last year. Uh, you know, this is a franchise that has been known for its struggles at times, and yet last year was the second worst season by points percentage in franchise history. So uh, that just goes to show you there's probably only one way to go, uh, and that is up. Uh, it was a tough year last season ago. You know, there was injuries. There was pretty much anything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Blue Jackets. And so if they can stay healthy, there's a lot of pieces to like. Uh, from a veteran standpoint, you know, there's a lot of names that have, would be familiar to people that have followed the Jackets over the years. Uh, you know, Boone Jenner and Zach Wierenski, who are uh, the leadership uh, group for this team, and then players like Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine, who are, uh, you know, very highly skilled offensive players. And then there's a good group of young players. Uh, Kirill Marchenko and, and Ken Johnson were players that kind of rewrote the CBJ rookie record book last year. Uh, they have Adam Fantilli, who was the number three overall pick in the draft and is going to be on this team. Uh, from the word go, uh, turns 19, turn 19 on opening night. Uh, so someone who is is really a key building block for this team could be a player, the likes of which this franchise have never had. And so if the if the veterans and the youngsters really mesh well, wouldn't be a huge surprise to see a, a big bounce back season for the Blue Jackets. Uh, you know, hockey is hard. Hockey is unforgiving. And if things get off to a rough start, kind of like it did last year, you never know where it's going to go. Uh, but there's good vibes around this team. And if they can keep it going, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them uh, be much more competitive than they were a season ago. Jeff, you mentioned some great stuff. Let's okay. Let's start with Pascal Vincent and, and the coaching change that occurred within a few weeks ago. And I'm not sure what you can or can't say about that. But but how much of now is it the organizations want to understand the mistake, put it behind them, realize we've got to move forward, embrace the new coach, his approach. What's that look like? What's his staff look like? Yeah, it's an interesting scenario where. What happened with the uh, the parting of ways with Mike Babcock before the season seems to have united the team in a way. Like they, you know, it was a little bit of adversity uh, before they even got to training camp, and you know that they had to fight through. And it seems as though they they've done a pretty good job of that. 
And now Pascal Vincent seems like the right guy at the right time. You know, someone who's been very well respected in the Blue Jackets organization the last couple of seasons. But, you know, it's hard to promote the assistant coach on, you know, a team that struggled a season ago to be the head man. Uh, and so, that, you know, they had, were wanted someone like Mike Babcock, who had been one of the more successful coaches in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, things kind of got a little loose last year. and They wanted to tighten the ship a little bit. And, and it seemed like Babcock would be that guy. And then when they go through the whole scenario where he gets let go, suddenly Pascal Vincent is the right guy at the right time. Uh, a very well-liked guy that they can really unite this team through some adversity. Um, and it seems as though he's done that. And so his style, um, you know, he wants to be possession-based. He wants to play fast. He wants to do any, you know, hockey's not a mysterious game. Uh, you know, he wants to do everything that most hockey coaches want to do. Um, I would say his calling card uh, is he's a great communicator. That's something we've heard a lot throughout training camp and the early season here from Blue Jackets players is that the message is simple. Uh, the message is consistently delivered. This is what we want out of you. Uh, and I think that's what you need, you know, in a game as fast-paced as hockey, uh, to making it simple and, and making it easy is, uh, to me, the hallmark of a good coach. And it seems as though uh, that's Pascal Vincent's belief as well. Uh, and then, you know, one of, key addition, you mentioned the coaching staff. Uh, they brought in Mark Recchi, who, if you followed hockey, is a name that you would know, one of the top ten guys in NHL history as far as games played. Uh, he'll coach the forwards and coach the power play. Uh, a new voice. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, a lot of experience. And, and if he can really connect with uh, the forwards and the, the young players on this team, it could be a really good addition. Jeff Swoboda, Jackets Insider, our guest on the Ohio Sports Magazine. More in a moment here on the Ohio News Network. Calling all crew fans. Join us every week for Inside the Crew. It's a show about soccer. Tuesday night at 9. Sponsored by Coda, a trusted mobility sponsor of the Columbus Crew. Your flagship home for the Columbus Crew, the fan. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. Back on the Ohio Sports Magazine for this week, talking Blue Jackets hockey, their season underway. The Jackets insider, Jeff Swoboda. Check him out at bluejackets.com. And Jeff joining us to talk about this year's team. 13 of the 14 top point scorers return, Jeff. A little nugget from your season preview that I was able to check out. So give me one or two maybe not named Goudreau that we can look forward to. And I know Texier is back now, but where's this offense coming from before we step to the defensive side of the of the puck? Yeah, the offense is led by some of the big names you mentioned there. You know, Johnny Goudreau has been a point-per-game player uh, throughout you know his entire NHL career, a seven-time All-Star. Uh, big free agent signing last summer. Uh, Patrick Laine is a name that, you know, a high draft pick who's had some major success in the NHL. So those are going to be kind of the big names. And then uh, you've got a steady player like a Boone Jenner, who's the captain. Uh, he's about to become the first player in franchise history to play in 11 different seasons, uh, which will make him the longest tenured player for, say, franchise history. Uh, about to pass Rick Nash as far as games played as well. So um, he's kind of Mr. Blue Jacket at this point and is coming off two straight 20-goal seasons. So uh, he had some punch. Uh, Kirill Marchenko and Ken Johnson were, were great as rookies last year, uh, who are players that are really building around and could have even bigger seasons. Uh, uh, you know, guys that bring a lot of offensive skill to the table. Johnson's more of a playmaker. Uh, Marchenko is, is more of a shooter. Uh, but, you know, that that's kind of complements each other. So those are two guys that uh, might be fun to see play together. And then you mentioned Alexander Texier, uh, a big addition. A return from Europe, spent last season playing much closer to home over in Europe. Uh, he's originally from France. Uh, not many NHL players actually from France. Usually the uh, the French names are from you know Eastern Canada and, and Quebec. Uh, he's actually from France, uh, one of the few players from over there. And 
uh, has come back and is a player they can really build around. Just a, a solid two-way player. Uh, Second-round draft pick six years ago. has steadily built his game over the years. Uh, it can really do it all for them and is going to be a key piece of the puzzle on the offensive side. You mentioned Jeff Boone Jenner. What's his legacy? Is it continuing to grow? Is I mean, does he have a chance to escalate to the top three, four, five jackets ever with kind of the career he's had and the legacy he continues to build as a captain here? Yeah, that's a great question. And I say, I just called him Mr. Blue Jacket. And, and you think about the names that have defined this franchise. Uh, certainly it was Rick Nash for right. uh, you know a very long time. Uh, he's the only one with a, uh, a, a number retired up in the rafters right now. Um, and then the teams that had the most success over the last, you know, you know, from 2016 to 2019, it was, you know, Captain Nick Foligno, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, uh, Cam Atkinson is second all time in, in franchise history with goals scored. Uh, so those are the names that have been up there, but, but Boone has to be there. I, he's going to pass Rick, assuming he stays healthy. He's 17 uh, games away going into the season to passing Rick Nash for most games played. So, you know, you're going to have that feather in his cap. Uh, he's uh, going to be a long tenured team captain. He can play in every situation. He, he adds offense uh, at five on five. He's on the first power play. He's on the first penalty kill. They almost have to you know, find ways to keep him off the ice just to kind of keep him from playing 30 minutes a game. Uh, so really, he's just a hockey player. If you just drop a hockey player uh, out of your brain and you look him up in a dictionary, it's Boone Jenner. And, and his legacy is going to be someone who left it on the ice every night for this Blue Jackets team and, and probably left it in a better place than he found it. Let's switch to defense, Jeff. That's got to be the, hopefully from a fan perspective, the most improved aspect of this team. What have you seen preseason and what are your keys for this team defensively? Yeah, they look much more organized this season defensively. And, and last year was tough because all the injuries. And it started with Zach Lorinsky, who is the alternate captain, uh, one of the best defensemen in the NHL, uh, can play in all three zones. He, he's just a great player. And you found out just how great he was last year because it was, he, his, his absence stuck out like a sore thumb how much they missed him a season ago. And so he's fully healthy, back and ready to go. And that's going to be a huge uh, addition for the Jackets. You know, that's almost like a free agent signing as far as uh, being able to bring in a guy like that who missed so much time last year. So uh, if he can stay healthy, he's a huge part of the equation. And this was a, you know, I don't want to speak ill of of, uh, my employer here, but this was a historically bad defense last year. It was one of the worst defenses. Uh, It was, you know, they gave us the most goals in franchise history. And they gave up, uh, goals per game, one of the worst numbers in the last 20 years of the NHL. So, you know, th- there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made. Now you add in uh, Zach Wierenski, who's, you know, the leader back there on question. Uh, they brought in uh, two big signings. Uh, one will both be a trade, but one was going to be a free agent. Uh, one uh, acquired from Philadelphia uh, from the Flyers, uh, Ivan Provorov, who is a solid two-way defenseman. Uh, Damon Severson, who they signed in free agency to a big contract uh, out of New Jersey. Uh, a really good possession player uh, can really lead to offense. Uh, so I think those two guys can complement each other very well. And, you know, I mentioned injuries a lot. There was times last year where they were playing a bunch of guys who just had no experience on the back end. So it's no wonder they gave up a lot of goals. Provorov and Severson are two of the most dependable defensemen in the NHL. They've, you can count on your two hands how many games they've missed the past five seasons. Uh, if those guys are what we think they're going to be, those are going to be huge additions to the Blue Jackets on the back end. You mentioned the health. It's so important when you get into a long season, but the health of the team and I guess the goal, the goalkeeping, right? The goaltenders have to be better. Is that simply Elvis's job? It is. I, I've been calling it the five million dollar question because that's his contract, and he's one of the highest paid goaltenders in the NHL. And he he struggled last year, and he wasn't done any favors uh, by the defense that I was just talking about, and by all the injuries and the inexperience in front of him. 
but he'll be the first to tell you he didn't play nearly as well as he wanted to. And I, I think it was an issue where, you know, he had, was so keyed in to start the season and wanted to do so well. And really from the word go, it was, it was a struggle for everyone on this Blue Jackets team, but in particular, Elvis Merzlikens. And it was kind of like one of those finger traps where the harder you pull, uh, the worse it gets for you. Like, you, you can't play your way out of a, a, a struggle at the goaltending position by trying harder. You almost have to do less. You have to let the game come to you because if you attack it too hard, you know, in the NHL, they're going to take advantage of you. You, you. The best goalies, when they're playing their best, they make it look effortless. They make the game come to them, and they make the saves look easy. He was trying to make hard saves last year, uh, and that's not the way to succeed in the NHL. So, uh, yeah, it, it, he, we know his talent. You know, he had he burst onto the scene a couple of years ago. Uh, he's one of the most athletic, fun to watch goalies in the NHL. He just has to let the game come to him, build some confidence, and and then go from there. So it's going to be interesting. You know, the first ten games of the season are going to be huge for Elvis because if he can get off to a good start and be in a good headspace, I think that's going to really put him on the right track for a good season. And if it's a struggle coming out of the gate. Uh, then he's going to have to really battle through it because that was really where things went wrong a season ago. So, yeah, there's an awful lot on the plate of Elvis Merzlikens this year. A little more with Jess Sabota, the Jackets insider. For the Columbus Blue Jackets, when we continue here on the Ohio News Network. Betting happens as fast as sports. And now every play is faster than ever before. You're on the edge of your seat until the moment when it's all on the line. Which is why it's important to... Pause before you play. Sports are fast. Betting shouldn't be. So remember to set limits, know the risks, and pause before you play. To learn more, visit pausebeforeyouplay.org. The ONN Daily Podcast. Get a recap of all the day's news from across the state. Our one affiliate, WBNS-TV in Columbus, has more. Haley Kirby. Reporting in downtown Toledo. From the State House. Kevin Landers. ONN Canton. ONN affiliate, WKYC-TV in Cleveland, explains. In Marietta. Brett Wharf. ONN News. Emma Henderson in Genoa. The ONN Daily Podcast. Listen at onnradio.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts from the Ohio News Network. Insurance fraud is a crime. It costs every American $932 each year and more than $70,000 over a person's lifetime. If you suspect insurance fraud, report it. Call the Ohio Department of Insurance at 800-686-1527. For more information on the types of insurance fraud and how to protect yourself, visit insurance.ohio.gov. Did you know that Ohio's move-over law applies to more than just emergency vehicles? Drivers should move over one lane and slow down for any stopped vehicle with flashing lights. That includes emergency vehicles, construction crews, utility vehicles, and tow trucks. Moving over keeps roadside workers safe, and it's the law. Move over, slow down, pay attention, save a life. Learn more about Ohio's move-over law at moveover.ohio.gov. With autumn's arrival, ISA-certified arborists recommend that fallen leaves be left alone or mulched to improve plant health. When leaves decay, they transform into organic matter absorbed by the soil to become moisture to trees through their roots, which helps trees weather drought conditions. Leaves are also a natural habitat for butterflies, chipmunks, earthworms, and others, which increases the population of beneficial insects for the next growing season. To learn more about the benefits of autumn leaves, contact an ISA-certified arborist near you by going to trees4ohio.org. That's trees4ohio.org. 
Do you or any of your family members, neighbors, or friends own a property that you just want to be done with it? If so, call TurboTrack Realty today for an all-cash offer at 614-470-2000. 614-470-2000. Would it be convenient for you to take what you wanted and leave the rest behind? Great, I'll buy it. Call 614-470-2000. That's 614-470-2000. The fan, the fan, the fan, Ohio sports destination. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. Final segment with Jeff Zoboda, the Blue Jackets insider. Check out his great work at bluejackets.com. You'll be at the home games. You'll be traveling all the road games. The thing that sticks out to me and speak for, for the fans and the organization, if you'd like, Jeff, but... The four straight games to start the year at home. And then what sticks out from the road perspective for somebody that's going to be with the squad? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You do get to start at home. Uh, and, you know, that may be nice for this team because the fans really came out and supported this squad a season ago, despite the struggles. Uh, you know, they sold out, I believe it was eight of the last nine games or somewhere, somewhere in that uh, line. Uh, and that was for a team that pretty much was well out of playoff contention. So, you know, the hockey culture has really built here in Columbus, so it'll be good to start things off in Nationwide Arena uh, and have the fans behind the team. And then as you go, uh, you know, the, the schedule gets harder. You know, if you're starting with a lot of games at home, that means you're playing a lot of road games right. at the end. And so, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, the, uh, yeah, U.S. Figure Skating Championships are at Nationwide Arena this year, so uh, that's going to be a big, long road trip in January that they're going to have to take. Uh, this, the team ends with a five-game road trip uh, in April. So if you're battling for a playoff spot there, that's going to be a tough uh, uh, way to go as you're going to be playing away from home in a lot of those games. So, uh, you know, I guess you uh, uh, the fact that you're home early a lot is pretty nice. Uh, so hopefully you take advantage of that and, and get off to a good start because those road games are going to come back on the back end of the site. Jeff, for a Blue Jackets fan, for a hockey fan that wants to see a road good road swing or road game, is there a spot or two you would recommend for fans that maybe want to travel? That's a great question. I always say, you know, like my, my, one of my favorite places to go, it might have the best combination of city and arena in the league is Montreal. Uh, so, you know, you have to have your passport. But if you can ever make it up to Montreal, and I believe the Jackets go there twice this year. One of them is in October here, uh, and I don't remember exactly when the other one is. But, but you know, it, it's just such a unique road trip and a great place to watch a hockey game. I always recommend that one. And then, you know, there's some popular ones. Anytime the team goes to Florida, uh, you know, you can escape the winter weather and, and go down to – fun and sun there's nothing wrong with that and especially the tampa trip is one of my favorites because that's a great place to watch a game as well uh you know they won stanley cups down there the fan base is electric they sell out every game uh i think that's a really fun trip for cbj fans as well um and then you know what if you ever get the chance to do western canada uh, it's a long trip uh when you got to go a long way and you're there for a while but you know calgary edmonton vancouver especially ending with vancouver and now you end with seattle uh but you know getting that time in vancouver those are some unique cities as well and a, and a very fun trip, I would say, for CBJ fans if they ever get the chance to do it. By the way, I'm trying to navigate this Columbus Blue Jackets schedule online. It looks like that March 12th return to Montreal is the second one you mentioned. Jeff, let's, let's end it with this. This team makes the playoffs if what happens? I, well, one, if they stay healthy. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, that's every team in the NHL. Um, if they get better defensively. Uh, I think they've got players that can score. Uh, we, we named them throughout this interview, but they, they just can't give up as many goals as they've given up the last two years. You know, they had a surprisingly good season. They were in the, in the playoff race until the end of the year 
two years ago, and they still were not a great defensive team. Uh, and then they were, you know, much worse a season ago. Uh, you're not going to win in the NHL. It, it's a scorer's league right now. Scoring's going up. You're seeing more and more players with skill that can put the puck in the back of the net. But you have to play with some structure, and you have to keep pucks out of your net to be a true contender. If they get a lot better in that regard, then they have a chance to make the playoffs. And if they're, uh, you know, a little bit better in that regard, uh, that'll be great. But they'll probably still be on the outside looking in. So they've got to shore up the structure. They've got to shore up the team defense. And if they can do that and stay healthy, uh, I think they'll be able to score enough goals to stay in it. Jeff, let me finally in the last minute. Do you know of any promotional changes or things within the arena that will be different for fans noticing this year? Absolutely. We're always spiffing up the arena. There's uh, some new uh, concessions in the arena, some new bar areas uh, that we're opening up. Uh, one of them is the Hat Trick Bar, uh, sponsored by Wild Turkey, that has all the hats that are thrown on the ice when Blue Jackets uh, players score a hat trick that have been collected over the years. So that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Promotions-wise, there's a bunch of new promotions this year. Uh, getting into some bobbleheads, there's going to be uh, you know, some bobbleheads of our players. There's going to be some bobbleheads of uh, not our players. So if you go to bluejackets.com, you can check that out as well because I think we've really stepped up on the promotional side this year as far as the giveaways go. And I think that's something, you know what, who doesn't love a good bobblehead? So I'd say uh, if you're in the market for that kind of stuff, check it out. And then there's always the popular, you know, there's Hockey Fights Cancer, Hockey's for Everyone, Military Appreciation, all those kind of things uh, that happen every year as well. Those are always huge. But um, from the promotional standpoint, I'd say the new giveaways, uh, definitely worth checking out at bluejackets.com. Well, we can't wait for your bobblehead someday to be revealed. We thank you for your insight. Check Jeff out, bluejackets.com, or what was the Twitter and Instagram again, Jeff? At Jackets Insider. Wonderful. All the best. Have a great year, my friend. All right. Thank you, Matt. That's Blue Jackets Insider Jeff Svoboda. We'll have more of the Ohio Sports Magazine when we continue here on the Ohio News Network. Common Man and T-Bone. If I'm the helicopter pilot and I'm looking down like, hey, sir, are you okay? And he gives me, I'm just turning around. How is that again? Common Man and T-Bone. Sponsored by the Hinderer Motor Company. He takes three to six on the Fed Nation. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. Welcome back to the Ohio Sports Magazine. Now let's check in on Cleveland. Eric Reeser joins us from the Ohio News Network. Talking with Tyvis Powell, the national champion defensive back at The Ohio State University, a former NFL safety, a current analyst on the Cleveland Browns radio network. You can hear him on ONN affiliate WBNS FM in Columbus, and you can see him Saturdays on the Big Ten tailgate on the Big Ten network. Tyvis, the Browns were on a bye last week, but as is tradition, there was plenty of drama with the team. Deshaun Watson's dealing with a shoulder injury. It's being reported as a rotator cuff contusion caused him to miss the Baltimore game in week four. Rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson started in that loss, and I think, Tyvis, he looked like a rookie that just wasn't ready for that game, and apparently he told reporters earlier this week that he was told at 10.30, the morning of the game, he'd be starting against Baltimore. Before we get to the mess this week, what do you make of all of that? <laughs> First of all, I don't, it, it is not as bad as it sounds, okay? Because people take it out of context. Yeah, it sounds bad to hear him say it like that, but he has some type of general idea that he could potentially play in it. And I know that because he took all the starting reps with the ones last week. He threw with every last one of the ones. So he was developing chemistry there. The only thing he didn't do was do handoffs on Fridays with the ones. But outside of that, he operated with the ones all week. So it's not like he was thrown into a fire and didn't know. Obviously, they was trying to wait till. Until Deshaun got the shot or got to Sunday and see exactly how he felt, and then boom, he made the call. But 
to say that he wasn't prepared in no way, that I think that's a little bit asinine. I feel like he taking reps with the ones all week. You got to have some type of idea. So, yeah. But I, I think that when I watched him in the game on Sunday against the Ravens, you know, they did him no favors. They didn't, you know, obviously the game plan wasn't in his favor. It was as if Deshaun Watson was going to be there, and it looked every bit of the part of him being a rookie. You know, he couldn't go through his reads. He was under pressure a lot. And it was just a lot on his plate. So he looked very unprepared for sure. And that's not just a knock on him. That's on the coaching staff as, uh, as well. Everybody shares blame in this. So let's fast forward through the bye to this week. Kevin Stavansky told reporters Deshaun's still dealing with that shoulder injury. And it's not revealed whether or not, as of you and I talking now on Thursday, if he will play Sunday against the 49ers. But if he cannot go, P.J. Walker will be getting the start What do you make of that news, and do you think this means the team soured on Dorian Thompson-Robinson after just one start? (laughs) Well, I I don't agree with it. Uh, I think that if you're going to come into the season – you know, with a guy that you deem to be your quarterback too, you know, you got to give him a fair shake, you know, make a game plan that he's comfortable with. Because last week, I don't think it was all on him. I think if you have a game plan that he's good with, you know, that would help him out uh, to be more successful. So I'm not really a fan of them going with P.J. Walker over him. I actually got a chance to play with P.J. Walker when I was at Indiana, when I was with the Colts. I think he was a rookie at the time. Um, Really good guy, can command a huddle. Uh, obviously his career in the NFL hasn't been great, but he does bring some starter experience. And listen, you're going up against this 49er all defense. I mean, they're they're for real. They're legit. So it's not like anybody's going to go out there and have just a great day. Uh, I guess with him out there, maybe he can, uh, he can identify coverage a little bit faster, seeing that he's had some opportunities to start in the NFL. And like I said, he just has that experience. But, you know, I, I, I personally would have rode it out with Dorian Thompson-Robinson again because I feel like you didn't get a fair shake to see what he can handle, what he can't handle. It was all bad from just the get-go. All right, so full disclosure, Tyvis and I are Browns fans. So let's speak this into existence. The Cleveland Browns are going to beat the San Francisco 49ers, the best team in football without Nick Chubb, maybe without Deshaun Watson. Tyvis, how could Cleveland possibly get that done? I think it's going to come down to that defense. You know, they have to be the better defense on that field. Um, I remember, you know, last year, Miles Garrett was talking about as a defense, if they don't score, they can't win. Well, that's going to have to be the challenge today. Um, Kevin Stefanski got to really use his, his offensive mind and find a way to get these guys to make plays. But it is definitely a tall task with dealing with CMC, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle, and Brock Purdy is having an unbelievable season right now. It's a tall task. But if they're the better defense that day, that's that they the Browns defense has to be the better defense on Sunday. If they can do that, they can find a way to win this game. Do you agree with the previous statement I made that the Niners are the best team in football? Uh, at this, at this very current moment, they are the best team in football. Absolutely. Okay, so Niners best team in professional football. Tyvis, right now, could you tell me who you think the best team is in college football? <laughs> That is a toss-up, okay, because it seems like every Saturday it's a new answer to that, which is good for college football right now because it's, it's so many different teams that can, that can finish and be the champion, and nobody would say will blink an eye on it. Um, if I had to pick the best team at this very moment, I, I'd have to go with Georgia because they are the defending champs. 
Um, they really they look really good against Kentucky last week. Uh, and I know Kentucky is supposed to be a basketball school, but they do have a really good running back, and they did a great job of shutting him down, and, and they handle business. So I will probably have to go with Georgia at this current moment. From what you've seen of your alma mater through five weeks of games, um, they'll be at Purdue this weekend. Have they taken the right steps in your mind defensively to regaining a silver bullet moniker? Absolutely. I think the the biggest thing, the biggest step that they've taken from last year is that they have eliminated a lot of the explosives. You know, last year when they come in and they give up, they win the game, but they gave up two or three big big plays in the game that led to touchdowns. And this year they don't really do that anymore. So they've definitely taken the necessary step, you know, to becoming one of the better teams in college football. He is Tyvis Powell, the national champion defensive back at the Ohio State University, former NFL safety. Again, hear him on the Cleveland Browns radio network and see him Saturdays on the Big Ten Network's Big Ten tailgate. Tyvis, thank you so much for the time today, bud. Appreciate it. Go Bucks, go Browns. Thanks, Eric. Up next, we head south here in the Buckeye State. Paul Keels checks in on Cincinnati right here on the Ohio News Network. Bishop and Friends. When I was a kid, I used to hope that Paulina Poroskova would show up in my room when mm-hmm. I came home from school. That's kind of how I feel about your boy. You think those odds are the I same? I think they're the same odds. Bishop and Friends. Sponsored by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Weekdays from 9 to noon. The Fashion. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. Welcome back to the Ohio Sports Magazine. Now let's go to Paul Keels on the Ohio Sports Magazine, checking in on Cincinnati. This week we get a chance to talk with Jake Lisko from the Locked on Bengals podcast. And if you haven't checked it out, you need to because it is very, very informative. Jake, let's begin by talking about the Arizona win. Maybe too early in the season to stay a must win, but certainly a significant win, wasn't it? I don't even know if it's too early to say it's uh, not a must win. Getting to one and four, your your chances of making the playoffs if you're this team are dire. I mean, they're still not great. You have a lot of confidence in them because they were here last year, but it took a Herculean effort and a pretty insane winning streak in retrospect against some very good teams for them to get to where they were. And they were a good team last year. They figured it out. And a lot of it last year started in week five again. So hopefully this isn't a trend long-term with Joe Burrow and with Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow one day can have a normal training camp where he gets all the reps because it's showing that he needs the reps. But I I don't think it's even premature to have said that it was a must-win game. Joe Burrow characterized it as a must-win game before week week five. We talked about it on Lockdown Bengals as a must-win game, especially considering the competition. Arizona is the worst team they're going to play for quite a while, and it was important that they – get right and figure some things out given that quality of competition. And they did safe to say, Jake, that what this was about was Burrow being healthier. That's a huge part of it. I think that there are a couple of other things that will always come up. There's a, there's a big talent disparity as well. You you look at the time Joe Burrow had in the pocket to actually sit there and get to a backside dig, which you almost never see Joe Burrow get to in this offense, which is the, the backside of a play he's gone through progression one, two, and now he's coming to a backside dig over the middle of the field, a dig being like a 10 to 15 yard in breaking route. He hit those twice in the game, but largely, like you said, Paul, it is a product of Joe Burrow being healthier, being able to extend plays. I don't know if any of his three touchdown passes happen outside of maybe the second half of week two 
at all this year. How Two does... of them required him buying time to scramble out of the pocket. One of them required him to go through a, a pretty elaborate play fake with a moving pocket and taking some steps into his longest air yards completion of his career. I don't know if he had that kind of movement ability, not to mention ability to push the ball downfield accurately at any point, again, outside of that second half against Baltimore before week five this year. And just in his Wednesday press conference talked about that it's the closest to 100% he's felt since he sustained the initial calf strain. So Burrow playing like himself goes a huge way in helping this offense. How does it take the stress off the offensive line, Jake? He just can buy time and, and evade sacks. In, in week four, it was very evident, for example, against Tennessee that, you know, they, they would have an offensive lineman lose a one-on-one. And in previous years, maybe Joe Burrow is able to break that sack or spin around it or, or take a couple steps to his right and just reset in the pocket in, instead of some pretty exaggerated movements we've seen from Burrow in the pocket as he's kind of trying to figure out his internal clock and how he can move with that calf being what it was and affecting him however it did. That the confidence to move readily leads to better sack evasion. And his confidence, you saw that grow throughout the game as well in terms of decisiveness against the blitz. Teams have been blitzing Burrow more than ever because it's been effective against him more than ever. Wasn't the case in week five. So not only is it just the movement ability, it's also the growing confidence in the calf and just his ability to get additional reps and time in the offense and practice to be more decisive, more confident with where the ball needs to go. It's not perfect yet. He's still missing a couple of throws that you would normally expect him to make, but that the frequency of which we're seeing those throws missed is dwindling. And you would hope to see that continue to decrease as he gets further away from that aggravation in week two. We've known that Jamar Chase is special, but Jake, did it really wow you like maybe it did me and some others about the record that he set in that game in Arizona? That record kind of felt inevitable. He was very close to it in week three, and it, T. Higgins has missed some time every year. You hope that T's healthy and he gets back out there. I think he was maybe limited on Wednesday in practice, and so you hope that he can play with the rib injury or you get him back after the bye week. But it was always a question of volume for Jamar Chase, and you started to see last year that volume go way up for him compared to his rookie year. Now, Jamar missed some time last year. Otherwise, his numbers would have been more remarkable than they were. He obviously had the hip injury that he missed time with. So I don't know if I would say I'm surprised. It, it, like I said, it felt inevitable. He comes into league on, the, on his draft day interview with the intention of breaking every record the Bengals have, and it was just, are they going to get him enough targets in an offense that also features T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow likes to get the ball spread around quite a bit. In this particular game, they had a lot of short stuff in the game plan for Jamar Chase that really added to that reception number. A lot of bubble screens for Jamar, and most of them are effective. 14 of his 15 catches, I believe, went for first downs, which is or touchdowns, which is a pretty incredible stat. Yeah, it sure is. Jake Lisko from the Locked on Bengals podcast. Jake, always good to talk to you. Thanks for the insight. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. We'll have more of the Ohio Sports Magazine when we continue here on the Ohio News Network. 
The ONN Daily Podcast. Get a recap of all the day's news from across the state. ONN affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus has more. Haley Kirby reporting in downtown Toledo. From the State House. Kevin Landers. ONN Canton. ONN affiliate WKYC-TV in Cleveland explains. In Marietta, Brett Wharf, ONN News. Emma Henderson in Genoa. The ONN Daily Podcast. Listen at onnradio.com or wherever you download your favorite podcast From the Ohio News Network. Insurance fraud is a crime. It costs every American $932 each year and more than $70,000 over a person's lifetime. If you suspect insurance fraud, report it. Call the Ohio Department of Insurance at 800-686-1527. For more information on the types of insurance fraud and how to protect yourself, visit insurance.ohio.gov. Did you know that Ohio's move-over law applies to more than just emergency vehicles? Drivers should move over one lane and slow down for any stopped vehicle with flashing lights. That includes emergency vehicles, construction crews, utility vehicles, and tow trucks. Moving over keeps roadside workers safe, and it's the law. Move over, slow down, pay attention, save a life. Learn more about Ohio's move-over law at moveover.ohio.gov. With autumn's arrival, ISA-certified arborists recommend that fallen leaves be left alone or mulched to improve plant health. When leaves decay, they transform into organic matter absorbed by the soil to become moisture to trees through their roots, which helps trees weather drought conditions. Leaves are also a natural habitat for butterflies, chipmunks, earthworms, and others, which increases the population of beneficial insects for the next growing season. To learn more about the benefits of autumn leaves, contact an ISA-certified arborist near you by going to trees4ohio.org. That's trees4ohio.org. Are you starting to question your gambling or the actions of someone you love? It may be time to talk to someone who understands. Call the Problem Gambling Helpline today and talk to a trained specialist. There's no judgment and no commitment. Plus, it's completely free and confidential. We're here for you. You are not alone. And remember, we all have the power to change with the Problem Gambling Helpline of Ohio. Make the call today. Call the Problem Gambling Helpline of Ohio at 1-800-589-9966. Do you or any of your family members, neighbors, or friends own a property that you just want to be done with it? If so, call TurboTrack Realty today for an all-cash offer at 614-470-2000, 614-470-2000. Would it be convenient for you to take what you wanted and leave the rest behind? Great, I'll buy it. Call 614-470-2000. That's 614-470-2000. Ohio's sports destination. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. Welcome back to the Ohio Sports Magazine. It's the ultimate Cleveland sports show. And let's check in with our producer, Colin Berenger. Thanks, Matt. This week on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, a lot of discussion about the quarterback position with the Cleveland Browns. As starting quarterback Deshaun Watson has been out of practice and missed the last game against the Ravens with a shoulder injury. And a backup quarterback may have to fill in for Watson this upcoming week against the 49ers. Let's pretend Deshaun Watson is unable to go against San Francisco, so they'll have to play either DTR or P.J. Walker. Right. Of those two, which quarterback gives the Browns the better chance Dang. to beat the 49ers? That's, that's tough. Anybody really strong on this, like one way or another, it's definitively... It's, it's definitely P.J. Walker. 
Mm-hmm. You know why? Because, you know, I was screaming from the top of the hills. You better get you a veteran quarterback. And you see how quickly they switched that up. They ain't got, you, you, you have no time for quarterbacks to be figuring it out on, on the job training. This is not the job core, peace core, whatever. This is not an internship. Cleveland Browns got a defense over there that is, is a top three to five defense with guys over there that, have been, that are trying to get to the playoffs. So when they came out, you, they, that was a stopgap right there. Like, oh, if Deshaun ain't training and playing. We need somebody that can at least make the regular reads, at least understand, oh, it's a cover two. They try to they try to run and cover one robber on me. I already know what it was. I, I read the defense. Or at least he'll be decisive and definitive. DTR can use his leg to extend plays, but DTR would be hesitating, running option. It's not like PJ's a seasoned vet. Though. You know what's interesting about PJ Walker? What's that? You know, I played with him when I was with the coach. <laughs> Did you really? You don't even remember it, do you? Just no, you? I do remember it, actually. Oh, okay. He actually was a solid guy. Really good guy. Got in there, really okay. could command the offense. I mean, obviously, we got to see what he did with Carolina see? last year after Baker. My thing is, my only thing about... Those numbers are not pretty. No, not at all. But my only thing my only thing <laughs> wow, about him... 11 picks. Or about anybody that between the two quarterbacks is that it all depends on what Kevin Stefanski does with the game plan. That, yeah. that, that ultimately comes out because... Obviously, last week, I think the DTR thing was unfair because I don't feel like we got to see really him because it he wasn't, wasn't his. It was, yeah, he like and he'll come in and say, I prepare myself to be the starter. So I always ready like that's Liar. knowing that you going in the game and being a starter. You could you prepare totally different than you thinking as a backup. So I, it was it's hard for me to say if he's good or not. G says that he missed a ton of throws. It was people wide open, and he just kept missing it. But no, he didn't even look at him. My point. But it's like yeah. when you go in there and you not confident in the game plan and not confident in your ability, you looking for one person and one person only, and that's probably Amari Cooper because that's the only guy you trust. Yeah. And I just feel like it wasn't fair for him to go in there and get thrown in that fire like that. Now, I'm not saying he should be the starter. I definitely think with uh, with San Francisco coming in there, you don't want to you don't want to throw him in there in San Francisco and let him just completely cuz he's already down right now from last week before. You throw him in there with the Wolves with San Francisco, he might jump off the edge. So, you need to keep his confidence up a little bit and let PJ Walker go in there that got some experience that at least can know how to call an audible out of right. stuff or at least can recognize coverage and recognize, okay, they run in cover two. This is where I'm supposed to go with the ball instead of just being locked in on one guy. Okay. And if he's not there, that, taking off running. So two for PJ, definitive yeah. PJs. Bull, where are you? Uh, I would stick with DTR, and here's why. First of all, if they don't, but either way, this is a real, this whole situation is a real indictment on the Browns' ability to realize what talent they have. Like their, uh, uh, their ability to. Uh, recognize. recognize. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Recognize talent. To catch the full breakdown, just search the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show on YouTube, subscribe to their page, and enjoy daily content covering all things Cleveland sports. We'll be back to wrap up this week's Ohio Sports Magazine when we continue on the Ohio News Network. Sunday, a day of rest, relaxation, and Cleveland Browns football. Catch the Browns and 49ers from the land. Live coverage starts Sunday at 11 with the Kick It One. Dual radio home of the Browns, the fan. Ohio Sports Destination. Now back to Ohio Sports Magazine on the Ohio News Network. Once again, here's Matt Andrews. That'll put a wrap on this week's Ohio Sports Magazine. Our thanks to my guests this week from the Blue Jackets. Jeff Swoboda, as well as our Locked On contributions for this week. 
Now for Paul Keels and Eric Reeser, our producer, Colin Berenger. I'm Matt Andrews. We'll have another show for you next week right here on the Ohio News Network. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM HD2.